Welcome to the 63rd edition of the Guna Podcast, recorded immediately after our previous one, on the Monday after Arsenal's FA Cup third round draw with Leeds United. Thanks as ever to our sponsors. I want to say to you tonight, I want to tell you about a site, GunaShirts.com. The website for all your quality unofficial Arsenal t-shirt requirements. I'm your host, David Udo, and still with me a regular panellist, Mark Ollington, Guna editor, Kevin Witcher. And this very podcast's former host, freshly, re- freshly returned from the Far East, Mr. Joe Broadfoot. So, guys, it's January. It's that time of the year for failing television series, um, turkey sandwiches for another three weeks, and most importantly, it's the Cup, the FA Cup. And an added bonus for us Gooners this year, the Carling Cup. I don't know where to start. In fact, we're in the semi-finals of the Carling Cup, so let's start there. Joe, if Arsenal do beat Ipswich... If we do beat Ipswich and capitulated to a 7-0 defeat at Stamford Bridge less than 28 hours ago, should we play a full-strength lineup in the final or mirror the 2007 policy against Chelsea where we play half and half? I think we should go full-strength or close to it. I'm even worried about Ipswich, I have to say at this point. After they've taken a battering at Chelsea, it's not a good sign. When a team, when a team lets in seven, Wouldn't the next tiger. game... The, yeah, exactly, the Wounded Tiger comes back and they're not the Tigers but they're what are they the Tractor, tractor Boys, boys. and they call themselves something else uh, the, the Horses, cart horses or something horses, ridiculous yeah. the incest lovers yeah oh, well, that's, the broken down <laughs> tractors well I'm, the I'm afraid cousins. they're going to get their machinery together against us and not <laughs> let us score in the first leg we should we should have enough to beat them but after seeing us against Leeds in the FA Cup how can we be sure that we're going we're gonna to roll over the tractor boys? I'm not too sure, personally. It's going to be that easy. We should do it. But do you remember, who was it we lost to? Wigan, wasn't it, in the same, same stage? They were, Wigan were in the Premier League. Team, though, they? Yeah, but they Premier League team with Jason fucking Roberts up front. Who's Jason Roberts? Exactly. <laughs> uh, Mark, what about you? Um, well, first and foremost, we'll get past it. It's not West Ham or Birmingham. Uh, you know, memories of Trevor Brooking. I, I never used to score many with my head. We know Trev. <laughs> you tell us all the fucking time. Right, um, so, the League Cup. Mark? I have no doubt whatsoever we will win that cup. I'm not being cocky. Oh, I'm dear. not being... Just put the bottle on it. No, there's no way we'll get out to Ipswich in the semi-final. By hook or by crook, whatever team we put out, we'll get through that. I have no doubt whatsoever. My only concern is potentially West Ham in the final. Even though they're not having the best of seasons, to put it mildly, London derby, all that business... I can see a one-off game, those bloody irons sneaking through. If we were to get Birmingham in the final, we'd beat them 6-7-0. I think it would be the most one-sided Carling Cup final ever. And then we'd be lifting our first ever trophy. Kim will be happy because we're on the road to victories and more trophies. I'll be happy because we doubt Wembley. Brilliant. Bring it on. But yeah, Carling Cup, pretty much. My odds, David, was I a betting man? If I had a... I'd put on £100 if it was a decent odds for it. I really would. £100? I, I never bet. I'm not a gambling mm-hmm. man. I'm a man who doesn't gamble. No, I reckon we're going to win this Carling card, Cup. Yeah, brilliant. Bring it on. Kev, where do you stand? And the good times Here comes the Carling Cup. Do you think Ipswich, going into their, their two-legged semi-final against Arsenal, will be approaching it, and their fans will be approaching it in the same way that Arsenal are going into our uh, knockout game against Barcelona, whereby, you know what? Maybe we could get a result over over 90 minutes against these guys, but over two legs, they're going to absolutely bend us over. 
I suspect you're right. Um, the odds on Arsenal actually winning the trophy are apparently 8 to 15. Oh, less than 2 to 1 on. So, um, not generous odds. The bookies um, definitely don't think anyone else is going to win it. How much do I get back from me? Well, if you put £100 on, including your stake, you get about 145 or. Not bad, right? Not bad, is it, Kev? Well, if, if you're. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you think of it as a short-term investment and you're confident Arsenal can win it, then fair enough. But I will just take you back to 1969. John Rogers. Another mm. another League Cup final. Was it Swindon Town? It was mm-hmm. Swindon Town. The day after the Horse of the Year show. Cup football, you know, <laughs> that's why I think we should play our strongest possible eleven in a final should we make it. Because I don't think you should treat these competitions with disrespect once you've actually got to the final. And I think in 2007, it would have maybe been a different game if we'd played the team that we could have. But Wenger wanted to remain loyal to the players that got us to the final. Wenger didn't value the trophy. Granted, it had only been two years since we'd won the FA Cup, so there wasn't such pressure on him to land the trophy. But this time around, we need this trophy the players who've got to win us the bigger trophies need to get the feeling of winning a trophy of any type. I'm not talking about the bloody Emirates Cup either. <laughs> um, so if we manage to get past Ipswich, and if we can't get past Ipswich, serious questions do need to be asked. Assuming we do make the final, I want to see a full strength of 11. I want to see us go for that trophy. I want to see it lifted. I want to see that as a springboard to greater things. It would also sort of make sense if uh, we do play our, our, our strongest team. We go out, we do what the great Arsenal teams of sort of 2003 and 2004 used to do. You go 3-4-0 up in the first, 45, uh, first 40 minutes and then just knock the ball around for the rest of the game. And surely that's a lot easier than playing half your reserve team. It's one all after 70 minutes and then you have to bring Fabregas and Nasri on with the opposition in the ascendancy. Good point, David. Though, obviously, what also happened in 69, as well as being beaten by Swindon Town? Well, the pitch was, was rubbish. No, it was the last time Thomas Rositsky scored a goal for Arsenal. <laughs> so, hopefully, um, yeah. he, might, he might be able to get a goal in the second. Oh, get out. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, Okay, so from cup number one to cup number two, the FA Cup, notwithstanding the uh, indifferent display against Leeds on Saturday, where, um, in fairness, you know, we did decide to turn up for the last eight minutes, um, we have got a replay, uh, and if, as I personally suspect, Wenger will think, well, right, okay, you, you fuckers got us into this, you fuckers can get us out of this, I think it will be mostly, um, I think it will be a relatively strong team going up there, in fairness, um, with the um, with the sole mission to sort of get some early goals, if we if we can defeat them, home tie against Huddersfield Town and Benicophobi arrives to give us the chance to make the last sixteen. If we win that, what do you think, Joe? Um, Cup double, ninety three all over <laughs> again. If only Andy Linnigan. Who's this yeah, year? Is Steve Morrow more to the Who's point? Who's this year? Steve Morrow. <laughs> Who is Fabregas going to hold the last? Craig Eastman. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, what do you think about the FA Cup? I think. It's, it's not my favourite competition anymore because back in the day it was the competition. It was more important almost than the league. You know, when you think back to early seventies, I think I think most most kids felt that way. But now, to me, it's it's no more valuable than the Carling Cup, as as there's no Champions League spot from winning winning the competition. Why should we bother? I mean, I just want us to win some silverware besides the Emirates Cup. 
whether that be the Carling Cup, the FA Cup, I don't mind. Either will do, but I'll, I'll put them more or less on the same same level. But that would sound like Kev's bitch, which I've once or twice this season. Because I've been quite anti-cups myself, Joe. Yeah. But when you can when you consider, we probably won't win the league. We've had a good chance, but Man U are now almost seven points clear of the game in hand, or whatever it might. I think they're going to go run away with it. We're not going the Champions League in probability. Yeah, to win a cup double isn't beyond the realms of possibility, especially when you consider we have got Huddersfield at home in the next round yeah. if we get past Leeds. Winning two cups is alright in the season. I'd settle for that in the lead up to next year. So I reckon we should take it seriously. Yeah, I think we should take I'm, it seriously. I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm a not, I'm not that optimistic. That's all I'm saying. I'm not that optimistic. Even though we've got a decent home draw if we get past Leeds. But going to Ellen Road is not going to be a walk in the no, park. but we get past that, Joe. By that time, Barthelot would have twonked us in the Champions League. So I think this mm. would be a lot easier. We won the Carling Cup by the time we get past Huddersfield. Really, after that, we've got a pretty clear run with regards to fixture congestion, surely. I'm just so disappointed with our ineptitude against Leeds in the fact that we didn't. Why couldn't we beat Leeds? But Leeds are not that great. Oh, I, I, think, I think, in fairness to Leeds, I mean, Leeds played well on Saturday. Um, and they, they, they restricted us to, you know, a few chances. Um, and in the end, most of the chances were in the last 20 minutes when Leeds were knackered. But, I mean, credit to Leeds, you know, they, they, they turned up and I don't think any of their players didn't give their all. And I think, uh, I mean, you know, I, I don't think you can belittle, you know, no. why didn't we beat mm. Leeds? Leeds played very, very well. I've yeah. seen a lot worse teams yeah. down there than, than Leeds this yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. But at the, same time, at the same time, the Arsenal team that played well, I mean, on that was, day, it, was it wasn't second, like a full-blooded response from the string, Arsenal team. It was a second-string Arsenal team. Now, the problem with this, and I think we're going to get on to this, but we might as well start now, is that basically when Arson picks a second string, you've got enough internationals in the team, but they don't gel, all right? And it's not quite as fluid. It doesn't happen so easily. You know, it's a bit more frustrating. And I think that's what happened on Saturday. Um, and you know Arsenal regards it as a fact of life that you've got to play these guys in some games because the first 11 can't play every time now as was mentioned in the previous podcast when uh, the players walked off the pitch after playing Chelsea they were all pretty shattered two days later you're at Wigan so what does Arsenal do he basically rests eight of the players except the goalkeeper Bakary Sanya and Koscielny all players, I think, he had to play due to lack of numbers. Um, so, you know, occasionally we're going to have to just try and get by with the second stringers, and Leeds was an example of that. Playing a full-strength team, as was, it was a little bit closer to that when Fabregas came on and Walcott came on, and we suddenly looked a lot better. Um, but sometimes you pay the price for, for, for not, not being able to play your best players all the time. And the fact of the matter remains is Leeds were a league down last season and they put out Man, Man United and also was put out Tottenham. So in that comparison really, cup game, you know, obviously I wanted a far better game at home, but what fires me with optimism, what makes me excited is we didn't go out. 
We were minutes away from getting knocked we're out. In oh. that draw. We're in the Exactly, Kev. We're in the draw. Mm. I think the cup double, it's 93 all over again. We'll have Jack Wilshire there drinking a, a, a imaginary pints. I want to the Carling Cup. And then <laughs> oh, we'll no, 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 they won't be imaginary based on Jack's recent behaviour. And then we'll be having, I can see it now, last minute of like, you know, the FA Cup final. Up pops Sebastian Scalacci. Header 2-1. Cool hero forevermore. Mm. Brilliant. I'll tell you wait. what, there's fantasy football and there's fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Just go back, dear David, to Andy Linnigan Andy Andy yeah. when he rose victorious in the last second of the replay, the FA Cup final. In he went, broken nose, bosh, a cup double was ours. Broken, broken fingers as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it will depend on the luck of a draw to a large extent because I'm pretty sure that Arsenal will be fielding a weakened team throughout this competition. Even got the Champions League here? Yes, because ultimately, unless unless the uh, top four place is an absolute formality, he is always going to prioritise the league. So even, even, even in that scenario, he would still weaken the team against uh, FA Cup opposition. Um, so if the draw is kind to us, then we have a chance. And it has been kind to us so far. Um, if we do manage to get through against Leeds and Huddersfield, let's see what it turns up. But if we get a tough away tie, um, I suspect that might be it. Um, that's, that's fair enough. I mean, the, the point about the, um, the the second string eleven that, that Kev raised. I mean, I, I personally find it a very very salient one. I mean, you look at the four years that um, that Chelsea dominated under Mourinho and. Um, even you know, prior to and after that Manchester United ultimately by and large there are 8 or 9 players who, who will play 50 games a season as they're grown men um, Mark I mean why is it that Chelsea were able to do it and, and play the same 9 players maybe a couple of variations throughout the entire season win the Premier League get to the Champions League final win the FA Cup and get to the Carling Cup final yet Wenger maintains his team of super fit children younger than those men and surely with more gas in the tank can't seem to do it is it because David we play a different type of game a different type of football in the sense that don't our players run more and they're making more runs and passes and I think I read somewhere it could be wrong could be Barry bullshit who knows but on average they want a quarter more than the Chelsea and Man United players do every game due to the type of football that's what I read I've got, I've got no idea if that's true I've got no idea if it's training methods or anything like that but it could be because of the type of football I don't know I love it, David. It was like back in the old days when you had players like Dixon and Winterburn and playing for every single game of the M season, you know, and the play and the team almost was exactly the same every single game. I don't know is the answer. It could be the type of football. It might not be. It's one of those questions that I would debate long and hard every night of my of, of my life. Along with other questions, such as why do fish smell? <laughs> Well, moving on, moving on from uh, Mark's aquarium obsession, I think it might have something to do with the preparation of the players at Chelsea, Manchester United, and Arsenal. In that the emphasis is more on technique at Arsenal and less on physical strength. Now, if you do go back to the times when we were winning trophies, and you remember what it was like in the tunnel before the game, you had some big guys standing next to the opposition who often were towering over them. And I remember opposition managers saying, you saw the two lineups, and you thought, oh, Jesus Christ, look how big those bastards are. Um, and we aligned then strength and experience with technique. 
what we have now is technique. We don't have a lot of experience and we certainly don't have strength. And I think Chelsea and Manchester United prioritise those things more and for those reasons their first choice players can probably play more games. So I really think it's a preparation issue. I think uh, the manager is probably too uh, obsessed with uh, the technical side of the game rather than the physical side of the game, which is where we've got this reputation for being able to be bullied. Um, and I think the balance has gone a little bit too far towards you know, what we do on the ball and uh, nice attractive passing football and not so much what we do when we don't have the ball. Now, on occasion, the players have shown they're able to raise their game, but are they physically capable of doing that in enough matches? And I think they're probably not, and I think we need to address the strength issues in, in the squad, either by bulking up the guys we've got or replacing the midgets with a few taller players. Uh, Joe, are you... Are you uh how do you feel on, on our, our second eleven, as it were, our bench? I mean, on paper, um, it looks great. I mean, as, as I sort of mentioned in the last podcast, the uh, ITV commentator mentioned before the Leeds game that Arsenal have made nine changes, yet still have ten full internationals in their lineup. I mean, are you concerned that we're better on paper than we, than we are on grass? Yeah, because the way I feel about it is we shouldn't rotate the team as much as what we have been. When you make eight changes of whatever it was to go to Wigan... That's, that's a few too many. If you, if you tinker with the side a bit, like the tinker man at Chelsea, that's fine. Two or three changes, freshen it up, that's all right. But when you're changing eight players, that's, that's major surgery. And I, I, don't think, I don't think Arsene Wenger did the right thing. I, I thought so before, and I thought, hopefully I'm going to be wrong, just like I was against Chelsea. But no, this time, the chickens came home to roost. And obviously Wigan scored a couple of goals, and... And, you know, the rest is history, a 2-2 draw, and then that screwed up our chance of, of, of doing much better in the league. I mean, I mean those, those kind of mistakes, he keeps on making the same mistakes all the time. And quite honestly, when you look at the midfield, we had Flamini before, who was, had a tremendous engine, and we lost him on a free, and we've never replaced him. We brought in Song, who runs a lot less. I mean, you can check the stats, he runs less and Flamini. We've never had a midfielder since Flamini who runs the same distance. He was amazing. He was like 13, 14 kilometres mm, a game. Mm. The other guys are running two or three less. I mean, so if Fenger looks at the stats, why didn't he see that? I saw it on Champions League. Every time the Champions League come up, who was top? Flamini. Every single time. And Fabregas actually upped his game to try and keep with, with Flamini. And that's not happening now because he just sees, what does he see around him? He sees all these holding midfielders that don't tend to go up to support the attack so much because mm. they're too busy defending or, or, you know, Song's a good player, don't get me wrong, but he's not the same level as Flamini. So we've got, we've got Song's better with, than Flamini, ten times better than Flamini. I don't agree with that. I he's don't got agree. more skill than Flamini. Yeah, ever I, can't, I can't disagree with the skill level, but I'm just talking about stamina. In terms of stamina, if you check the stats, you will find he's that Flamini, though, Flamini was, he covered every blade of grass. And he was Fabregas's minder. He did. And Fabregas must miss Flamini so much. It was interesting in 2008, Flamini got injured, I think it was against Liverpool away in the Champions League second leg. And our season kind of collapsed after that. So, um, Isn't it fair to say Flamini had probably one really good season? Awesome five he, in years. Fairness, yeah, in fairness, he well, was though. never given a run in the team. He was always a bit part player who was never sure of his starting place. And 
I mean, the thing about 2007, 2008 is you had a, a midfield quartet of Pleb, Flamini, Fabregas, and um, Rosisky. And those four players gelled. And it's partially, ironically, because socially they actually all mm. got on. And there is a lot to be said for that. And mm. I, I, as, as someone who ran a Sunday uh, morning football team, I always found the best combinations in, in the different parts of the pitch were mates. So if I had a, a, a defensive line who were all mates and a midfield that were all mates and a couple of strikers who were mates in separate kind of groups, they gelled better than mm. it did when we actually had better players in those positions but they didn't know each other so well. It, it's a funny yeah. thing with football and it's, it's one of the things that ironically, in spite of all the money, Chelsea succeeded when they did because John Terry at that time was very good at getting all the guys together and mm. they're all getting on. They, they didn't sort of drift apart and do their own thing. So when you've got a strong socially uh, interactive unit um, and there were too many factions at Arsenal in the last two or three seasons which is why we've struggled to get unity and that may still be the case but anyway... Um, it's not as bad as it was but the fact is if the players get on better together they play better together and that's one of the reasons we were so good in 2008 2008 what happened we've got injuries we would have won more in 2008 including potentially the Champions League if we just didn't have so many bloody injuries but it was just bad luck this family hasn't really gone on to great success at Inter, has it? it can barely get a, We've got no mates. Get, get a match. Yeah, I mean, it's not, you know... But it's yeah. hard to criticise his last season at Arsenal. He was that good. It is, but then having said that, Joe, the point I was making is one swallow doesn't make a... Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good point. yeah, but he could have gone on from that season and yeah. had more good seasons. On the subject of diminutive <laughs> midfielders who have probably had one good season in their entire Arsenal career... There's a rumour doing the rounds at the moment that players requested Cesc Fabregas to have a word with the manager about why Andre Arshavin was getting favourable treatment and getting picked every week, despite his lack of willingness to help out when the team don't have the ball. Now, our number 23's demotion to the bench may have been the consequence. Also, in a recent press conference, Wenger was asked about the, uh, the Belgian inside forward, Aidan Hazard. Uh, and whether he's a, a guy that Wenger would be interested in. Wenger normally answers his questions with, well, we lots of, lots of players all the time. He responded this time with, yep, got to try and bring him in in the summer. Mm. What do you make of our number 23's position? Would you describe it as precarious, Kevin Witcher? Um, I think there's almost a general agreement between the player and the manager that he's playing out the season. Um, Arshavin's body language doesn't suggest any kind of desire to be at the club um, I mean he's being played as one of the, the shadow team simply on the basis that you know the first team aren't going to play every game I mean Walcott's obviously the first pick now um, Arshavin's form has gone to pot uh, you, it appears as if he is not one of the gang in terms of this squad and has he ever really been I don't know um, he's not happy for a number of reasons in this country I mean it, it's all it's all looking like he will go in the summer if, if, if not least because there is little point in, in, main, in retaining him I mean he does still do some good things on the pitch but it does seem to be outweighed by 
um, a lot of time standing around waiting for things to happen rather than getting involved and it's a, it looks like a slippery slope to me I, I don't know what Arshavin can do to turn it round other than become a totally different type of player and he's always been a luxury player he's always stood around and waited to get the ball and then done something special now the problem with that is if you don't actually produce the something special then there's no reason for you to be there and he scored that goal against Wigan which was very nice um, he did set up Walcott brilliantly against Leeds he does a couple of good things every game but um, in fairness Arsenal do need more from uh, the player in that position right now um, especially as defensively we're not strong and the fans would rather see someone who is committed um, so it's, it looks to me like the writing's on the wall and I mean, I'd almost say sell him now. I mean, well, well, there doesn't seem any, any point in holding on to him until the summer. You know, I mean, the guy doesn't want to be here. He's not performing well. I don't see it turning around. Joe, what do you make of our, our number 23? Is it his position that's, uh, uh, that's done and dusted? Or do you think it's the, uh, the non-assisting, non-scoring Thomas Rosicki who should be looking over his shoulder come, come May and June? I've not been such a big fan of Rosicki ever since he got injured, although he has come back into some sort of form. It's not the same form we saw prior to him arriving at Arsenal. But Arshavin has been amazing. Some games, I mean, even recently, when he's been playing badly, he scored a fantastic goal away from home. I think it was at Wigan. Um, incredible goal. And there's no Arsenal player that could have done that. Not even Fabregas could have done that acrobatic um, volley that, that Arshavin managed. And... I feel, I feel a lot for Arshavin because I think he's been played out of position more often than not. In fact, I'd go as far as to say 90% of the games for Arsenal that he's played, he's played out of position. He's played on the right wing, the left wing. He was not ever a left winger as far as I, I was aware. I'd seen him play in, um, I think it was a UEFA competition, uh, the Europa League, what it was called back then, against Rangers, and he, he was devastated. And he was playing in the hole. That is his position. So for some unknown reason, Arsene Wenger has decided that he's a winger. And I, f I found that quite bizarre, really, to, to spend all that money, bring in a record signing, and play him out of position. To me, it doesn't make an awful lot of sense. And then, if he doesn't perform to the levels we expect, why are we surprised? As, as you mentioned earlier, if you played uh, Chesney on the right wing, he probably wouldn't put in a, a decent shift. And, then, and look, at, look at Arshavin. He's, sometimes he's looking around at some of the players that, he's, that he's, he's teamed up with and he must be wondering, is this, is this this great Arsenal side? I've got Denilson alongside me. And yeah, I'm not saying Denilson's always awful, but he's not a class player. He's, he's not even in the Brazil national side. So, you know, just looking at some of the players around him, he must wonder, why the hell am I on the bench? I mean, as much as I love Jack Wilshere, but imagine how Arsene feels seeing Jack Wilshere playing in front of him. Notwithstanding the, uh, the, the comparison of Wojciech Chetney with Ian McKechnie, for any of you uh, Guna historians out there, the, the goalkeeper who used to play on the left wing, uh, that's starting to sound like a bit of a staunch defence, uh, amongst many words there of our number 23, Mark. Your, uh, your baby girl, is she, is she, uh, she Polly André, uh, or is she Polly Francesque? Uh, you know, where do you stand on, uh, on uh, our number 23? Very good, David. Thank you very much. Uh, today, I do feel as if I'm slap bang in the middle between Mr. Witcher and dear Mr. Joe. Um, 
I when, I, when Ashton came to the club, David, I was happy as the proverbial Larry. I was a pig in shit. That's how happy I was. You know, I love the player, and sometimes you watch him, and you know he doesn't do very much in a game. But in a way, like Burkamp used to do in his quieter days, and Burkamp tried a bit harder. But in his quieter days, Burkamp from nowhere would produce this moment of sheer genius and exquisiteness. You thought, you know what, Dennis, I love you, and every now and then. Arshvin almost has those Dennis-esque moments. And even this season he has. I think, what, he's got eight, nine goals this season. Yeah. A decent amount of like, assists he's made too. But the problem is, is that at the moment, the fans can sense we might have a chance of winning the um, league. And when you see a player that palpably is putting in lack of effort every single game, that's what gets the fans back up. And the difference between him and Dennis is, is that even though Dennis could go missing for minute, 10, 20, 30 minutes in the end game, Dennis always tried. He might not have got back and defended, but the commitment, more than often not, was always there. Whereas Arshavin, what really got my goat was, and which is why I have to veer more towards Kev and Joe in this instance, is during that Leeds game, when he was almost begging to be substituted. Mm. I don't care if he's been played out in le- at left-back. You should not be looking to come off at every single opportunity. I think the only reason why he didn't come off was to avoid an absolute slating and, and booing from the crowd. And then you probably realise, we hauled him off early, the fans have got massively on his back and be a huge PR nightmare. And so, even though I love the player, even though I was over the moon when he joined the club, it really galls me the lack of effort he's putting in now. So as Kev says, even though it guts me to say it, sell him and get something that has a bit more passion and um, panache. Because the problem is, though, is that Walcott probably will get injured at some point again. As we all know, he's quite injury-prone. So if Walcott does go missing for a few games and Arshton's got to come into the team, he needs to pull his finger out. If not, let's get something else in the transfer window. So, as you can see um, there, David, a bit schizophrenic in my kind of response to the young question, but it's almost like when you have a lovely girlfriend and she's gorgeous, she's sexy, but she's a bit mental. You, you know, you need... You want she the, looks like a meerkat. Yeah, you want the full package. And yet, if you don't get the full package, how can you compare the meerkat? You have to go compare. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, that's, that's absolutely wonderful. No, I, think, I, I think we're, we're all... Sadly resigned to the fact that our number 23 shirt will return to a centre-half in the summer, so keep an eye out. When Sol Campbell comes back and reclaims his jersey. Mm-hmm. Not Beckham. Fun, not fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you heard it here first, viewers, mm-hmm. in maybe of June, all over Arsenal.com, your Hazard 9 or Hazard 11 shirts, should Carlos Vela bid us adios. Um, on the subject of spurious rumours... One that our editor heard recently and, you know, was so impressed by, he stuck it in one of his online editorials, was that this summer we'll see Arsene Wenger move upstairs into the, uh, the role of director of football or similar with Owen Coyle coming in to work below him. Thoughts on the likelihood and the idea generally of Wenger staying on after he's gone? Joe Broadford. I'm not overly keen on the idea of Owen Coyle coming in. He's a, he's a decent young manager, but I'm not sure he's really what Arsenal need. I mean, if Arsene Wenger's going to step upstairs, it's going to probably be, I would imagine, a Frenchman that's going to be um, below, if, if that's the way I should put it. I think, I think it's going to be something... I've heard a lot about pick. French people under Wenger recently, but, you yeah. know, <laughs> I believe or that's maybe, a tabloid. Or maybe it's just going to be... Or, or somebody, somebody from, from the ranks should rise up like Steve... Steve Bold, somebody like that, but that's probably not going to happen. No. So I'm living in dreamland. In fact, I don't really see. I'm, I find it very hard to believe that Arsene Wenger is going to move upstairs. I'm not seeing that at all. What about you, Kev? I'm inclined to agree with Joe. Um, I think Arsene 
is all or nothing. Um, I think we find it very difficult to relinquish control. Um, as I, I've often said, uh, one of my favourite phrases is that football is bullshit central. I think this rumour is a classic example of that. However, you can see the logic because, you know, Coyle at Bolton has attempted to transform the playing style of the club into one which is certainly sympathetic with what Wenger uh, does at Arsenal with the emphasis on keeping the ball, keeping it on the floor, playing passing football. So you could see a certain logic into it in terms of um, you know, the good relationship between the two and, and the, the kind of empathy and approach. The more realistic scenario, if this were ever to happen, would be for Coyle to actually come to Arsenal as assistant coach to replace Pat Rice. And then, you know, after another three seasons, you know, in that post, Wenger then moves upstairs and Coyle takes over. Um, I mean, the interesting um, aspect of, of, of the club at the moment is that there is no succession plan in place in the way that for example there was at Liverpool when they were successful um, if you want to keep the ethos of the club going you recruit from within well frankly I mean I don't see that happening at Arsenal what I see at the moment is Wenger moving on eventually for whatever reason death or, or retirement and then another big name coming in probably from the continent but it's uh, not necessarily the best way to go about things. I mean, Guardiola at Barcelona, although he wasn't under the, on the staff under Reichardt, was ingrained in the culture of the club and then became a manager. I don't think he was actually employed by the club at the time Reichardt was the manager. But it seemed to work... Well, he was your team manager. Oh, he was your team manager. Well, then in that case, I take it back. There was some kind of logical um, appointment there. I don't see that happening at Arsenal with Steve Bold, um, to be honest. So For another reason than the youth team can't buy a point at the moment. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but uh, they did win the FA Cup last season. So, um, I mean, it, the thing about Arsenal is I don't really think he's ever going to let go of the reins. So it's almost a non-question for me. But it's a fascinating idea. How about Thierry Henry? He's back at the club. He, 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 the he club. needs some experience of coaching. Mm. Uh, Mark, are, are we are we safe in saying that the Owen Coyle thing is is, is up there with uh, Robbie Fowler joining Arsenal in the next transfer window? The rumour that followed us for about six years. <laughs> I know, yeah, but I like I can see as Kev said the reason and rationale behind it. It's not going to happen. Though what makes me sad, I don't know if the listeners can hear there, but the rain is teeming down at the moment and chundering on the ceiling in which we are. And at the same time the rain is coming down, the rain is pouring on my heart. Because I always, oh, I always, oh, I always oh, picture... I always pictured and had this dream that when Wenger moved upstairs, borrow Primorak when I'm coming oh, right. as, as first team coach <laughs> and lead us to trophy and league titles and yes may I say it the Champions League and you're telling me Kev that now it's going to be budget from within and Borrow's not going to get the top job <laughs> what have you been doing for all these years well he's, he's, he's basically owed a huge favour by Arsene and that's why he's in that job 
you know, Boro was the reason that Marseille were exposed in the 90s. Is that being, true? Yeah. Boro a, was the one who, who, who spilled the beans and My said, word. well, we have been bribed by Marseille. He went public on it and Arsene owes him a debt of gratitude and has been repaying him ever since. I never knew that, Kev. Wow. That's a great story. Yeah. This whole cast worth, worth listening to, just like a little nugget at, at the very end. Right. Thanks, right. Mark Collinson, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you need a licence to own a television or drive a car, but anyone can breed. Um, so there we go. Um, Joe briefly... <laughs> Joe briefly touched on the fact that uh, Thierry Henry has returned to the club. Um, and we'll be training with us and Jan- uh, during January. Crackers. Look at that. Kev, Kev has much all, 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 all of the prawn crackers. He wants to coach the strikers at Arsenal. Um, Does he? Apparently. Oh. Uh, you know, I mean, I want a gold-plated toilet. But, you know, I mean, it's not going to happen, is it? Um, Mark. Yes. Is Thierry Henry going to end up coaching the strikers during his brief stay at Arsenal over the course of January and early February? It'd be nice, wouldn't it, teaching Bentley to score on goal or Carlos Vela or that um, anybody else there? Um, is it a Mr. Moment? When Martin Keown came in for that Champions League thing, was he really coaching the defence at that time? Apparently, by all accounts, because everybody was injured. We were playing midfielders in defence, weren't mm. we? So, and that obviously had a galvanising effect at the time, didn't it? So I can't see any harm in it in the same way as I think even though I don't say his name anymore, that are players of Beckham's stature and standing, even though he might not necessarily play for them scum, it can only help in a way inspire some of their players. I imagine Thierry Henry has a very similar uh, effect. So I think it's all good. I'm not sure it do much good, but why not? Give it a whirl. He's an Arsenal player through and through. Why not, David, I say? Why not? I'll tell you one player Where's who the... will benefit is Theo. Well, reputedly, uh, Henry will be doing... Uh, more work with Theo than anybody else. Is that right? According to the Daily Mail. So Yeah, know. but the Daily Mail also... The Daily Mail suggesting that two black players are going to stick together. Well, <laughs> whatever next. Uh, right, OK. <laughs> yes. Um, but they've both had blistering pace. I don't know how much pace uh, Thierry uh, can't. It can't do any harm. I mean, Thierry is, is training with the squad. Um, I mean, yeah, he's got wisdom to pass on. Yeah. And similar experiences, because, I mean, he got played out on the wing and then turn into a, a striker yeah. and I mean that's what Arsene Wenger said uh, Theo is a striker so he plays him on the right wing that makes sense to some people not to me but but maybe for some players it helps develop their game but I'm not so sure about that because I personally think if you play a player in the wrong position you erode his well, confidence well the argument against that is the Ajax approach which Burnkamp has mentioned whereby when he was a youth trainee um, all the players played in all the positions at different times to appreciate what the position meant and how that player would be thinking in terms of his relation with the players on the pitch. And he, he felt it expanded his kind of uh, you know approach to the game. So, I mean, it, it, it's it's an interesting idea, this total football thing, whereby, for example, against Manchester City, you had Nicholas Bentner crossing to Andre Arshavin in the middle. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's completely illogical, but at the same time, if you're doing it in training, mm. then I can see an argument for uh, the players getting the feel of what the position is and, and, you know, how it works. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it in training, but I think when you come to the real deal, mm. you've got to play the best players in the position they are best in. 
Because when you've got the fans on your back as well, that's not going to help you develop well, your skills. Well, the other thing is that the, the systems are very rigid. I mean, you know, we do play this 4-2-3-1. Um, and, and the reason we've, we've, we've morphed into this is because now that is seen as the optimum formation. And yet, you know, there is certainly an argument for occasionally a 4-4-2 or, you know, occasionally... Um, not what not what we play now in in terms of the four two three one, but um, having a, a, an in the whole player who isn't Fabregas, who is Arshavin. You know, it'd be interesting to see what Arshavin would be like. So about four four one one like we used to do with Bergkamp and Henri, yeah. but with Arshavin just behind a, a goal scorer. Yeah, really. and I mean, mm. then you, obviously you, you you say to Cesc, okay, you're not the forward midfield player you were. You're actually going to be essential. Partly holding midfielder, but if you remember Vieira and Petit, one of them always got forward. You know, the other one held. They took it in turns. You know, Fabregas is capable of staying back. He's capable of going forward. If you put him with Alex Song, then he will always go forward. Um, I do think the players are intelligent enough to be more flexible, and that sometimes the formation should change. I think we're very predictable now, and we end up putting um, square pegs in round holes and um, I don't think we get the best out of the squad that the way the thing is Arsene Wenger knew full well what Arshavin was all about prior to him signing Arshavin he said he's not suitable for English football that was in the it's summer not a good start and well, then he made the and then he signed him in the gen you know the, the next transfer window he signed him after saying that he wasn't interested because he didn't think he could adapt the rumours are Joe that he was forced into signing Arshavin though he didn't actually want to buy him himself but mm. I think you maybe took care the oh. club were made into doing a marquee signing yeah. mm. he was a player that was there and ready to be able to buy and Wenger was pretty much told he had to have him mm. if he, so if you believe those it, that does make sense doesn't it it does yeah, make a lot of sense much mm. forced to have him uh, very quickly guys we are running out of time um, issue 211 of the Guna is available now from all the regular outlets including the shop at onlineguna.com oh, yeah. and your favourite sellers on match day Mark You've got an article on there at the moment about players using Twitter and Facebook. I have indeed. It's been a, I've had great response so far from all the readers telling me it's the best article I've had in at least 100 issues. And I say thank you to all those readers. Uh, can you elaborate <laughs> a, a little bit as to, as to what it's about? Which, which of our players tweet? Do you know what? It's the more younger players. So at the moment, even though Sesk and Robin Van Persie have official tweet, they don't often do it. It's the young breed. It's the Wilshers. It's the... Uh, the Jets Chesneys, on there. The Jets on there. J. Emmanuel Thomas is there. Henry Lansbury's on there as well. It's obviously out loan at the moment. And Craig Eastman. It's those young, up-and-coming bunch. And we mentioned um, Team Spirit earlier on. What's lovely to see about the Twitter is how much these younger players have been with the club for a while genuinely like one another. I mean, Jack Wilshire regularly posts pictures of, the, of them all playing FIFA, and you can tell they're playing as Arsenal, which is hilarious. So they're regularly playing themselves on them FIFA. But you see snaps and Fabregas there and everything else. So in a way, via Twitter, we can see a team spirit is being forged there, Dave. So hooray for social networking. So what, what was your question? I was just wondering what it's all about. I want a quick summary to plug the it issue. It was generally, what it was, is that nowadays, Obviously, the clubs are sanitising what people can um, can um, say. The media are there, David, saying, you know, players don't say a thing. But Twitter means the players can communicate with the fans. That's what it's about. It's funny. It's hilarious. It's worth buying the Guna for. And it's available at all good uh, Guna around the I'm, I'm stepping in here. I know we're, oh, I know we're overrunning. I know we're overrunning. However, there is an important point to be made here. All right? So don't worry about the time on this one occasion. Basically... It's um, about old Jolly, the Blackpool. <laughs> it's not about Blackpool. 
It's wonderful. And the reason Twitter is wonderful is because it is not controlled by the club. It's spontaneous and it's genuine, yeah? So you've got... I mean, I love the humour of Jack Wilshire hacking in to Chesney's account to say, I am gay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these are the kind of jokes which are hilarious and heartwarming, frankly. And additionally, I love players speaking their minds. Now, they're not allowed to by the press office, but this is a monster out of control. Now, I think, as Mark has mentioned, it's either going to end up with the club banning players from tweeting... But I hope to God not, because frankly, this is the first time in years and years that we've got players actually genuinely saying what they think and communicating it to the, to the supporters. And I just can't... I mean, I don't have the time to follow it closely, but I get the best bits, and frankly, I love it. And I, I hope it continues. I hope all the players do it. It could be the start of a new openness, a new glasnost, yeah. whereby the message is not controlled by the bloody football club. I love this. But the players are actually speaking from the heart. It's like and a new that's, that's what we as supporters want. You know, we just want the fucking truth. Yeah. And and Jack Wilshire, God love you, fella. Even the bloody pictures of you laying on your sofa with your bulldog on your <laughs> chest. <laughs> yeah. And to back up what Kev said, sorry, I know I've driven on quite a lot, Dave. No, not at all. But after the game, what was it? After the Man United Liverpool FA Cup game, when Berbatov dived, Chesney posted a brilliant comment. He just goes, You can tell that uh, Berbatov is ex Tottenham. What a great comment. And, you know, Speaking that, like a fan. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that No, I don't lie. I mean, I work in the media and I don't have a Twitter account, which by all accounts will probably get me suspended. Um, but um, I am going to set up a Twitter account when I get in just to follow these. That's all you are. You don't need to set up an account. You, you can, can follow read. them anyway, mate. Really? You can type yeah. in Twitter, type in the names. You can read all their postings. Oh, man alive. I was blind. Now I can see. And I'm moving on up now. We are overrunning by 15 minutes, so Jesus. I'm very, very quickly going to ask you, in two words, <laughs> being a first name and a second name, at this halfway through the season point, who are your Arsenal players of the year so far? Joe Broadfoot. My Arsenal player... Of <laughs> two words, man! <laughs> right, two okay, words! First name and a second. I will say Andre Arshavin, just to wind people up. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to take the name. The, the, na the nature of a democracy is that even wrong people are allowed an opinion. There we go. Uh, Mark Hollington. Jack Wilshire. Kevin Witcher. Well, Sam in um, I, I would be torn between the two in fairness. I'll tell you what, until, six, until about a month ago, I would have said Sebastian Scalacci. Um, but then, then uh, I stopped drinking. So there we go, the email address. That, no, Jackie Wilshire for me, actually. A 19-year-old kid uh, playing in the centre of the park every single week. People talk about Seamus Coleman, but playing on the right wing, you can hide for 30 minutes a game. Who's that, Seamus Coleman? Ex exactly. Drink your milk. The email address for any communications about the podcast is gunapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks once again to Dave, our sponsors. Why, why have the letters stopped coming in? Why have the letters stopped coming in? Yeah. I well, the last, well, we did have a regular writer, but we told him to fuck off every time he wrote in, if you remember. Chris, if you're out there, all is forgiven. Can you encourage more letters, then? We won't be too nice to them. I think it'd be quite nice to read More letters, please. Them. My one-bedroom flat's still for sale in Hackney, if anyone fancies that. A bargain at 209995. Well, even emails are fine as well, aren't they? That's be letters through the post. No, no, that's fine, that's fine. You know, we're not, we're not exclusively snail mail. There is no post address. No post address at all. No. Oh, is that because we're an internet phenomenon? We exist in cyberspace. Yeah. <laughs>
Do we exist at all? Uh, anyway, right, we are 17 minutes overdue on this. For those of you who are still with us, the email address for any communications about the podcast is gunapodcast at gmail.com. And thanks once again to our sponsors. Goonashirts.com. It's fucking 20 to 10 and we're still in. Remember that the current issue of the Guna, well, it was then anyway, number 211 is now on sale and will still be available at the home matches with Wigan and Ipswich towards the end of this month. If you can't get down to buy it outside the stadium on match days, then you can do so online from the Guna shop section on onlineguna.com we'll be back in February and so can you add one little thing people want, people want me to sign it's like, quarter to ten if people want me to sign the article on Twitter I've been in the Harvey Barn after now my new favourite pub after a couple of games I will sign copies of my article for the Guna should the fans want to come along those of you who don't know what Mark looks like he's a five foot two inch black dwarf with a receding hair with a receding hair Bright white afro beard. He also plays centre midfield. We'll be back in February. Until then, my thanks to the panel, Joe Broadfoot. I had to say sayonara because I've been told off. Oh dear. Oh dear. How sarky. Then Mark Ollins. It wasn't sarky, that's true. Oh, come on. Come on. We're not going to let you off the hook. Is it a joke about a Japanese drink, Joe? Sarky. Oh, sarky. For fuck's sake. Oh, sorry. Um, what? That's sake. It's called sake, it's not sarky. Well, Sorry, God. I have to inform you about this. If you go there and ask for Saki, they'll think you're being sarcastic. I'm sorry. It's not going to work. I say, anyway, enough of Japan. This is a, an Asahindal um, <laughs> podcast. Uh, Mark Hollington. Bye, everyone. And Kevin Witcher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My name's David Udo, and I apologise. Thanks for listening. La di da di da, la di da di di. All good friends and jolly good company.
particular Totridge kitchen. I'm going out for a pound of milk, Annie. No, you don't. The last time you said that, you were gone for the day. And you brought back half a litre from France. But don't you prefer the milk from the French cows, mon chéri? Like you prefer the footballers, right? There's nothing wrong with English, Arsene. It would take you 15 minutes to drive to the local shop and back. But it takes only 55 minutes to fly to Paris. You would hardly notice I'm gone. Why settle for Jacques Wilshire when you could have Abu Dhabi? I think we need to have a talk, Arsene. I know something is going on. Sacre bleu, woman. You read a little bit too much into my preference for a French pint. No, Arsene. It's a French pint that I'm worried about. You haven't seen this morning's newspapers, have you? Mon Dieu, I didn't think we had this undelivered. What is this tawdry rag doing in my house? No, Arsene. The question is, what is this tawdry hag doing holding your hand at the airport in Paris? I'm afraid I did not see the incident. What are you talking about? You were the incident. The woman is the agent of a prodigious young talent. So, she represents herself then. Why is she kissing you? Haven't you heard of the Photoshop? It is not real. Even worse, she's expecting a child. I hope to God you are not the father. I'm trying to produce the perfect sinking footballer. And sometimes if you want something done properly, you have to do it yourself. So, you admit it. You have been having an affair with this woman. I have no defense. Stop switching the subject to football. And tell me what's been going on when you've been in Paris. All I ask is you judge me in May. That's what the guy in the wig with a hammer will be doing at the end of the divorce proceedings, Arsene. See you in court. This particular episode of Man About the House was brought to you by Goonashirts.com, your number one source for all your unofficial Arsenal t-shirt needs. CompareTheStriker.com Hello fellow Gunners, is Andre Arshevin here with my website CompareTheStriker.com Now, I don't want you to get confused between Andre Arshevin, who scored four goals at Anfield in 2009, and Pelle Mateshin, who was anxiously trying to get subbed against Leeds in FA Cup. So I tell you, how spot difference. 2009 Andre has longer haircut, and when presented with chance to score, beat keeper with ferocious shot. He holds four fingers up in air. 2011 Andre has short haircut, shoots ball at keeper, and fingers being held up by Arsenal home support. Sometimes one, sometimes two. He also enjoys long bass, which is why he keen to get off pitch before anyone else. Symbols, no? Compare the striker. Dot com.